morning we we want to we want to finish our our series on the, the Christ of Christmas and and really understanding uh, some of who Jesus is and and we we've talked about some of the things that that are just beyond understanding I, I guess uh, I, I still don't know how to explain the Trinity I still don't have a full you know I don't have an illustration that will work. I don't understand eternality. I don't understand how you can exist forever backwards and forever forward and have no beginning or end. That's beyond my ability. But that's who Jesus is. He is eternal God. He has always existed. And we looked at that. We looked at uh, the fact that, that He's God. And we looked at the fact that He became flesh. He, he took on flesh. He, he, he remained God, but He became flesh. And today, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is King. And we're going to look at the royalty of Christ. Now, we know that, that God is the ultimate King. He is the sovereign ruler of all things. And He's sovereign ruler by virtue of, of, of the fact that He created all things. When you make things, you get to be in charge. Amen? Those of you that cook, and I realize there are men that cook and ladies that cook, and there are ladies that don't cook and there are men that don't cook. I happen to be in that category. I don't do very well. Now, I can make grits, all right? I know some of you are laughing. That's pretty simple. You just boil water. Well, I've eaten some grits that weren't good, but I can make grits. But for those of you that cook, when you're in your kitchen, that's, that's your domain. You're in charge. You're creating. You're, you're, you make the decisions on what gets what. And because God created everything, he is in charge. He, he's, he is sovereign, and, and he maintains his rule because he's omnipotent. He has all power. He's omniscient. Uh, he knows all things, and he's omnipresent. He's everywhere present at the same time. And I'm going to give you a heavy dose today of Scripture because it's my belief that Scripture says things the best way. Amen? Amen. I just believe that. And, and if I'll just read the Scriptures, I'll understand a lot more about God than I know right now. And that's what, I, that's what I did as I prepared this. I read some more and some more and some more. But Psalms 47, verse 2, and then I'm going to skip to verse 7 and 8, says this. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. And verse 7 says, For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nation. God sits on his holy throne. Now, there's no question that God is in charge, all right? God's in charge. He's the king. Psalms 103, verse 19 sums up what I'm trying to say, is, 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 and it says this, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty, his kingdom, that's what sovereignty there means, his kingdom rules over all, and by all he means the whole universe, everything that's been created. Whatever we may think the, the, the theme of Scripture is, and I've heard countless themes proposed for Scripture. The reality uh, of, of Scripture is, is the theme of this book is the King and His Kingdom. Jesus Christ, by virtue of being God, he, He's the same essence. We talked about that. He the, has the same attributes, and He has the same character. He is the King. He's God. But He's not just a King. Okay? He is the King. The King. 
He possesses all authority. And, and that's what he declared uh, in just the, the moments before he's, he's lifted up into heaven. He, he, tra- he, 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 meant, he says this in Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All of our, he is over everything. And so Jesus Christ is king by virtue of being God. Now, how many of you would agree that's true? Everybody. But you know what? He's also king in his humanity. And it makes a big deal. It makes a big deal. In his, his deity, he's the son of the king. But in humanity, he is the son of a long line of kings. There, there is historical precedence for him being the king of kings. If you study scripture and you, and you begin to look at the prophetic words that begin in the Old Testament, it, it prepares us for what takes place in the New Testament. There are prophetic passages throughout the Old Testament that tell us exactly what's going to happen. It's not like we arrive in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. God's been quiet for 400 years, and all of a sudden, he he starts talking again. No, he's talked before. Nobody listened. And so there's a pause, and then the program begins again. But everything that takes place in the program with Jesus has been prophesied in the Old Testament. And I I just want to share some of those specifically having to do with royalty and and with him being a king. Uh, Early on, when God begins to deal with Abraham, he talks about a ruler that's going to come. And in in Genesis chapter 17, verse 6, God is, is making promises to Abraham. And by the way, Abraham believes God. That's that's the word. He believes God, and it says, and God counted that belief, not his actions, not what he did, not what he got right and what he got wrong, but what he believed. He put his faith in God, and God counted that as righteousness. In other words, God imputed righteousness to Abraham based on his faith. Guess what that's a foretaste of? What all of us have experienced. Jesus... His righteousness has been imputed to us. It's been declared over us and in us. It's been put in our bank account. There's a deposit that's been made. And what happened in the Old Testament? God makes a deposit in Abraham's account. And by the way, Abraham is not just the father of Jews Jews who are by blood. He is the father of the faithful, which means he's our father. He's one of our fathers. We're in his bloodline, whether you realize it or not. And so he makes this promise to Abraham. He says, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Now, here's a man who has no children whatsoever. And God says, I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you. And then he says this, and kings, not king, Not a king, but kings shall come forth from you. In other words, God is telling Abraham, you're going to be a king maker. Out of your your line, out of your heritage, out of your children will come kings. And and we find that. There are all kinds of kings that come out of him uh, on, on Ishmael's side. But there's one king, and there's a line of kings that come out of him on the on 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 uh, the side with the promised son, Isaac. 
And so God gives us this, this prophecy that there's a king coming. There's a king coming. And then he begins to slowly over time to progressively reveal. And that's how God works. He progressively reveals. That's how scripture works. We see God reveal more and more and more. Have you ever wondered why? Because if he just backed the truck up and pulled the lever and dumped it all on us, what would we do? We panic. <laughs> we wouldn't hear anything. How many of you ever been under pressure? And and there's just loads of 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 external stimuli coming in and you just can't deal with it and you just want to run and hide. Well that you know what? God understands that. And so that's why he gives us these important nuggets. Little by little by little by little. Because if we've gotten all the plan at once, we did not got any of the plan. And so he gives us it little by little. So he narrows it down. He narrows the promise. And then he, he, he narrows it by telling us that there's, there's going to, a, a, a king is going to come, but he's going to come from a, 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 a specific tribe. Now, by this time, Abraham uh, has had Isaac. Isaac has had 12 sons. And those 12 sons, some of them have done some very stupid things. And because the two oldest boys had done some really stupid things, God kind of sets them aside in the line of inheritance. And as, as Jacob is preparing to die, he calls his sons in. And he begins to bless them. He, lay, he will lay hands on them and he will bless them. This, was a, this is a, a, a beautiful thing, but it's, it's prophetic. It's very prophetic. He's speaking to the future. And he's not just speaking in the lives of those sons. He's speaking to their heritage. And, he, and, and if you read that, you, you'll see that in Genesis 49. I encourage you to read the whole thing. But he comes to Judah. And Judah is the third son. But by now, the first two sons have been set aside for utter stupidity and some other things uh, which we're not going to go into this morning and he says this to Judah this is a part of what he says he says the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes now there are no kings at this place They, they don't have any kings over them God's their king but he says, I'm going to send a king. And it's going to come into this family. This, this family is going, this, this, they, will be the, they will be the line in which the king comes out of. And the scepter, that which the king, whenever he lifted the scepter, you could come in and you could speak. Whenever he did the scepter, everybody got quiet. It was, it was a very important, the, the, the ruler's staff, it was, it was what the king carried. And so he said, that, that's going to take place until Shiloh comes. Now, everybody wants to know what Shiloh means. And there's really no clear definition of Shiloh in Scripture. But, but what we can take from the word is it means until whom it belongs, to, until he comes to whom it belongs. Which is, in other words, Shiloh is going to be the one that this prophecy belongs to. It's just going, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't mean, you know, brave or, or smart or anything like that. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a nebulous word. But literally, and, the, and because scriptures translate it for us, it's, it's until he comes to whom it belongs. In other words, you'll know it when he gets here.
Now that promise gets even more specific as God chooses that explicit family. He, he t- he's got a tribe now, the tribe of Judah. But in the tribe of Judah, there, there's all kinds of branches and, and streams. There's all kind of cousins and, and 50 times removed kind of things going on. Until God chooses a specific family. And he makes that covenant with David, King David. He says to David, he gives him a prophetic word. And sometimes we read this. And we think it just talks about Solomon. But the reality of it is Solomon dies. And the promise that, that, that God gives David is, is an eternal promise. It's a forever kind of promise. And we read this in 2 Samuel, uh, verse 12 through 14 and verse 16. And God says this, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And then in verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, Solomon certainly is is a a somewhat of a pre-fulfillment of that because God says, I'm going to be a father to you, Solomon. I'm going to, I'm going to, 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 to expand the kingdom. I'm going to, you're going to, your sons after you are going to be kings. But he's talking about more here. He's talking about more. He's talking about the king who will ultimately come. The one who, who, who will fulfill the prophecy of Shiloh. The one who will fulfill the, the promise to Abraham in Genesis. And Scripture foretells in this passage that, that the royal bloodline of King David, Israel's greatest king, it's going to yield a ruler who will not be like any other ruler. He will be a ruler forever. And so this king, this Messiah, that's what, the word Messiah means deliverer. This deliverer becomes even more specific as we move farther in, in Scripture. As we, we get to Isaiah verse Uh, Chapter 7, verse 14, uh, this is one we all know. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with a child, will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us, the king with us. And that king... Is, 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 is when he comes, he's going to be born in a very specific city. The prophet Micah pinpoints exactly where Jesus will be born. In Micah 5, verse 2, it says, But it's for, but it's for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. For you one from, from, from you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And if you'll remember back, whenever the Pharisees and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the scribes, the lawyers, the religious lawyers, whenever they would argue, get into an argument with people about who Jesus was and, and, and what Jesus was doing, all they knew about Jesus is that he came from Galilee. And that, that was their, their point that they would bring up. You know, Micah says that the, the king is going to be born in Bethlehem. They don't know the whole story. And they don't want to believe the whole story. But all of a sudden, we know there's going to be a king. 
We know that when, when he comes, he will rule forever. We know what tribe he's coming from. We know what family he's coming out of. And we know where he's going to be born. That's a lot of information. There's a whole lot more. I just didn't get it. Okay, I just, I just give you a taste. Daniel sees this. He, he, he has this vision while he's in, in Babylon in, in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. He says, I kept looking into the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancients of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Daniel just kind of puts the exclamation point to it. At that point, when Daniel writes, there is no Israel in Israel. They're in captivity. They're in Babylon. The only people that have been left in, 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 in Judea are, are the poorest of the poor. And, and Nebuchadnezzar has brought people from everywhere and he's given the land to the Arabs that live there. And so God says, hey, 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 the promise is still in effect. And so as you read the Old Testament, God is, is preparing us for what's going to take place in the opening passages of Matthew. He's preparing us for an earthly king who's not like any other earthly king. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. We're all familiar with this, but it, it says, Now this to all took place. Everything that happened prior to this took place that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. Now, I want you to listen to me, and don't miss this. We're going to talk about some things in just for a few minutes here that make a big deal. And one of the biggest deal in who Jesus is and his being able to die for our sins is bound up in the virgin birth. Without the virgin birth, there is no Jesus that can pay our sins, okay? That's one of the things that separates orthodoxy from everything else. If Mary was not a virgin, if Jesus was born of a human father, he cannot pay our sins, okay? Is everybody tracking with me? But do you realize there's more to this virgin birth thing than just that, I'm going to show you. It's, it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. So he says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Matthew is saying, hey, look, you remember that Old Testament scripture that, 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 that talks about the virgin that Isaiah talked about six, seven hundred years ago? Guess what? This is it. This is what God was talking about. And we find the uh, very similar thing in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 34. And, and it says this, and, and the angel is speaking to, she's speaking to, uh, to Mary, and he's explaining to her what's going to take place. And he says this, and behold, look here, pay attention. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. God is salvation. That's what she says. 
God is salvation, Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be God's Son, okay? And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will come from a line of kings, of earthly kings. He, he, he's going to be God, but he's going to be man. And as man, he's going to come through a, a, a genealogical progression, a, a heritage that's, that's spelled out. And he's going to be the son of the great King David. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Now we need to listen to me. The devil is not in the details. How many of you ever heard that? How many of you have ever said that when things go bad? Listen, the devil's not in the details. If he were, this wouldn't have never happened. God is a God of details. Down to literal, little bitty small words, articles, A and the. That's how precise God is. It's, it's not just, just, just letters, it's jots and tittles, as Scripture says. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will pass from this word. They're little marks and, and little abbreviations, I'm not abbreviations, but Hebrew letters that are just dots. God is a God of details, and God fulfills every last prophetic word, even down to where the king is going to be born. Listen to this. This is in Luke chapter 2, verse 4 and 7. We know where the king's supposed to be born. Where's that? Bethlehem. Where, is, where are Mary and Joseph, though? They're in Galilee. That's 70 to, to 90 miles. I'm, I'm, I'm loose in there. It's probably closer to 70. But, uh, but they're in Galilee. And she's pregnant. For those of you who have been pregnant, I don't understand that because I've never been and can't be. But can you imagine walking 70 miles or riding a donkey for 70 miles? I've ridden a mule, okay, and nothing. I wasn't pregnant, and it still wasn't comfortable. And so what Scripture says in Luke chapter 2, verse 47, is God just begins to work. To get all the parts of the prophecies to come together. Listen to what he says. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a house and, and the family, the lineage of David, in order to register. Now, why did he have to register? Because God put it in a Roman Caesar's heart. I want you to take account. I want, I want you to know how many people are in the world. And so Caesar makes a decree, and it comes out when Quirinius is the governor of Syria, and he follows up on it, and everybody has to go to their, to their ancient home places, their ancient family uh, places so that they can be counted. It wasn't like our census. You get a knock on your front door, and they come to you. No, you had to go to them. And so Joseph and Mary have to leave Galilee where they're living and they have to go to, to, to Bethlehem where, which is the home of their ancestors. Now Mary, I don't know if you realize this or not, but Mary is in the lineage of King David. And Joseph is in the lineage of King David. 
So they have to both go to Bethlehem to be counted. And so it says, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a manger. Now, we're all familiar with that, right? That we, we, we know that part of the story. Here's the part that I don't think we ever think about. Here's why you never skip so-and-so was the son of so-and-so was the son of so-and-so. The genealogies, okay? Because in those genealogies are treasures. They're nuggets. They're nuggets. Now, this king is now born into a specific family which is vitally important in fulfilling the word of God. In other words, God's word is beginning to come true. It's beginning to, the prophecies are beginning to settle and they're becoming fulfilled prophecies. And so Mary, who is, who's this young virgin, she's the mother of Jesus. And Mary belongs to the tribe of Judah. And she's a direct blood descendant in the royal family of King David. And so when she gives birth to Jesus, he carries the blood of David. He is born in the bloodline. Okay? Keep that in mind. So he has, he has the, I'm trying to think of a better word than this, but he has the racial blood right to rule. Okay? He, because he's a family member. He's the son of David. That blood right is proved and it's spelled out in Jesus' genealogy, which is traced when, when, when uh, Luke traces Jesus' family tree. And he traces it down to, it says, Joseph, who is, who is, the, who is the husband of Mary. And when you look at Mary, the one in Luke and you look at the one in Matthew, there's some deviation in names at a certain point. And so what most scholars think is, is that Luke's uh, bloodline that he traces, which, by the way, goes all the way back to Adam. It's, it's likely Mary's. And Matthew traces the royal bloodline, which by succession, by right of succession, comes through Joseph. And so, as we know, Jesus... It's not conceived by the union of a man and a woman. Uh, scripture says that very plainly in Luke chapter 135. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. So, so Jesus, his mother, is in the lineage of David. He has the right blood, but he doesn't have the line of succession. Does that make sense? It's like the royal family in England. There's a line of succession. When Queen Elizabeth leaves this planet, it will fall to Prince Charles. When Prince Charles leaves, it will fall to... And there's a line. Now, there's other brothers... They're over here, but they're not in the line of succession. They're just as much... Stuarts and, and whatever they are as this one is, but they're not in the succession line. So that's where Mary's at. She's in the family. She's a, she's a family member, but she's in the wrong side of the family. Y'all with me? Everybody's still tracking. Okay. So Jesus got the right, he's got the right 
on his mother's side. Yet Jesus has to have the legal right to sit on the throne of David. So he has to be in the legal line of succession. And that's not the case with Mary. And it, 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 it's the case with Joseph. He's in the line, but Joseph's not his natural father. Y'all tracking with me? So there seems to be an issue, right? This is beautiful what happens next. Okay? I mean, this is, this is why God is God and we're not. Joseph adopts Jesus. You say, Nelson, how do you know Joseph adopted Jesus? Well, it's proven by what takes place in the next few days after Jesus is born. They go down to have a circumcision ceremony. And the father and the mother have to be present. And they give the child a name. The father gives the name. Guess what God did prior to all of this taking place? He appears to Joseph as well as Mary, and he gives them one name. One name each. You're to call him Jesus. And so they, they have the circumcision eight days and after he's born. He's officially named. And then they go as a family uh, to, to, the, to, to Jerusalem. And they, they offer the, the sanctification uh, sacrifice to cleanse Mary, which every woman had to go through when she, she birthed a, a firstborn son. She had to go through, and, and all of that takes place. And so what happens in, in, in Luke, Luke shows us this. He shows us for a point. There's a reason. Here's the beautiful thing about adoption that, that sometimes we don't understand. In biblical times, when you adopted a child... That child had all the rights of all the other child, children. In fact, there were a lot of rulers who, who had been on the, uh, whose family had been on the throne for generations and for years when they became the king, they realized that their children weren't fit to rule. And what would happen is they would go out into the, 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 the country that they ruled and they would look for a young man who had all the attributes and the qualities needed. And what would happen is sometimes that king would adopt that son. And he would become a full son with legal all the legal rights. The father would take responsibility for all uh, of his debts. And he would assume all his debts, and, and that, that, son, that, that young man would become the son of the king. And he would be given the, the, the authority and the right to rule. By the way, that's what God did to every one of you and every one of us who know Jesus Christ. God adopted us. We who were not became the sons and the daughters of God. And the scripture uses a term, and it's not sexist, it's not to diminish women. And, and most of the modern translations in the last few years have done away with it by using gender-inclusive language. But I want you to understand why scripture uses it. it, it, it in Romans, I'll use the Romans passage, it talks about that, that people who are born again are the sons of God. The reason that it uses the word sons because in the culture in which this was written, in the, in, the, in the understanding, the mindset, the context of where it was written, the firstborn son got a double portion. And what God is saying to his children today is you get a double portion. 
There's not another, there's not one son that gets everything. You all get the same. You get a double portion. And that's why he doesn't use sons and daughters. He uses the word sons because when those people in the first century read that, they understood that. It was common knowledge. And so it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Now, I got to get back. Y'all just got a whole lot of extra stuff. And I got to get back to where I... But this, is, this just blows me away. And so what happens is... Jesus is born of a mother who's in the, in the, in the family line. Now he has, uh, so he has the, the, the right blood. Now he's, he's adopted by a member of the royal line who is in the lineage of succession. Now, why could Joseph not be Jesus' natural father? You want to see how precise God is and how he fills everything down to the smallest details? Well, This is why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. This is why Joseph had to adopt him rather than be his father. There's an issue in Joseph's line of succession. There's a black sheep way back after they come back from Babylon. His name is Jeconiah or Coniah. It's translated different ways. But because he was so wicked, and because he refused to obey God, God just speaks a word for Jeconiah. He gives him, he gets a word from a prophet. And this is the word. It's found in, in Jeremiah twenty two thirty. Thus says the Lord. Listen to me. Whenever there's a thus saith the Lord, it's either really good or it's really bad. <laughs> okay? Because God won't, it's like God clears his throat and goes, now, you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. Thus says the Lord, write this man down childless. A man who will not prosper in his days. For no man of his descendants, his blood descendants, the ones that he produces, none of his sons, none of his grandsons, none of his great-grandsons, none of his great-greats, none of them, not one of them, will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. In other words, God says, I have had enough with him. I'm done with him. In other words, God places a curse on Jeconiah or Kenai, whichever you want to call it. And that curse would have excluded Jesus, who is in direct descent, if he's Joseph's son, from ruling on the throne. Y'all tracking with me? Is everybody with me? I had not lost anybody yet. Okay. Okay. I know. It would have excluded him if he had been Joseph's blood son, if he'd been his natural son. But even though he's not his natural son, Joseph still has the legal right. Does that make sense? It's, it's his legal right. He, he, he could sit on the throne. If there were a throne, by the way, there's not a throne. Y'all understand that. Caesar sits on the throne. And so what happens is, because he has the legal right, The blood right comes from one family. The legal right comes from his adoption. God takes care of that in Mary. There's no issue with him being a descendant of Kenai. His only natural association is with his mother. So she provides the bloodline directly back to King David. So therefore, Jesus' blood descent... 
and his human right to, to, serve or to, to rule are preserved through the virgin. Does that make sense? See, God just fixed it. He cursed this line, and yet he fixes it. That just excites me. You know why? Because there's about 10,000 things I've done in my lifetime, and that's being generous and, 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 and conservative, that disqualify me from doing anything that has God's name on it. I mean, anything. God, God could put me, wall me up in a little block place and leave me out in the middle of nowhere, and, and it would be exactly what I deserve. And yet he hadn't done that. He's done something here, and done something there, and done something here, and done something that, had there. He's done it in your life as well. None of us deserve it. And yet he's moved, and he continues to move. He's moving in Mexico right now in the little city of Potus in a principal's life, and she doesn't even really realize it. He's been doing it from the very beginning, and nowhere more so than in the fulfillment of Jesus being the king, Jesus coming to save us from our sins. So Mary provides, because she is a virgin, she provides what Jesus needs to be the king. To fulfill the prophecy. Now, at Jesus' first coming, he, he was the divine king born with the heritage of a human king. And his first declaration as king when he steps into public ministry is this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He's preaching the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom. In other words, repent. Change the way you think, change the direction you're going in, and listen to me. Because I got good news. The king is not going to just come. He's here with you. The king is here. The, the, change the way you think. Put your faith in the good news I'm proclaiming. Everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did was a declaration or a demonstration of what his kingdom looks like. Nothing Jesus did negated the kingdom of God. Everything he did is an expression of what life in the kingdom is like. What, what we are to expect. What we are in, to enter into. What things are supposed to be like when the presence of the king is present. Every person who belongs to the king carries the same presence and the same power. Now I've been preaching on this for eight years in this church. All right? I'm going to keep preaching it until I can't draw another breath. All right? Or till all of us get it and start to walk in it. Then I won't hammer it so hard. I'm not going to quit preaching it. But we carry the king. He lives within us in the person of the Holy Spirit, which Scripture says is the spirit of Jesus. And if the king lives in us, where's the kingdom? It's in us. And everywhere we step, guess what? It's where the kingdom is at. So you carry the kingdom into your workplace. You carry the kingdom into your school. You carry the kingdom into Walmart. It's not the kingdom of Walmart. It's the kingdom of God. You just happen, Walmart just happens to be there. You carry the kingdom of God to the grocery store. You're going to carry the kingdom of God to various family tables and homes all over this place. 
We carry the kingdom of God. We carry his presence and his power. So our job is to do what Jesus did. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God. And he didn't just proclaim it. That's where we have stopped. And most of us don't do that. We're not just to proclaim it. We're supposed to demonstrate it. I said a while ago, I read this this week. It just struck me. God didn't create us to be good. God created us to do good. We're to be doers of the word. And so he de- he de- he, we're to demonstrate it so that captives can be, be set free. We are liberators. We're the, we're the daughters and, and, the, and the sons of the king. We're supposed to carry his message. We're supposed to do what he did. But sadly, especially at this time of the year, what happens is we neglect the message of the king. Instead, most of us will fondly and somewhat romantically reminisce about the infant king born in a manger. And, 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 and we'll, if, you, if you ask, almost I would imagine any Christian, they can tell you about the manger, they can tell you about the shepherd, they can tell you about the cattle, they can tell you about the kings on the camels. But they don't know anything else about Jesus. They don't know why he came. We put the manger scene in our yards. We put it on our mantles. We, we even reenacted in Christmas plays. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I've got one right in the, in, 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 on, on a sofa table in our house. I hand-carried it back in a little box from Israel. The first time I went, I, I didn't get one. And I wish, you ever, you ever had an opportunity and didn't take it? And then you live with regret? Buddy, I went back the second time. That was number one on my mind. I'm going to get me a, a manger. I'm going to get me a little olive wood. Now, it doesn't have any, it doesn't have any salvific value. It's just I, whenever I see it, I know where it came from. It's just a, a little, a little like a, a little pile of soil or something. And so I, I carried it back. I mean, they wanted me to take it out from under my arm and put it down. I said, no, I'm, I'm not letting this go. But, but we, we fall in love with those things and we forget about what Jesus did and who Jesus is. And we know the story, but sometimes we don't really know the true meaning of the story. Listen, the king came the first time and those who were his rejected him. They knew all the prophecies. They quote them, but they can't recognize him. And so they refuse to believe him, and ultimately they crucify him. And they nail his broken and beaten body to a cross in the ultimate act of humiliation and degradation. They strip the king, they beat the king, they spit on the king, they slap the king. Listen, I can, you can slap me, you can... You know, you can whip me, you can beat on me, but if you spit on me, I'm going to be all up in your grill, okay? I, that's just one of the things. I'm just being honest with you, okay? That's one of those things I can't handle, okay? Jesus just handles it. They humiliate him in every way, and literally he is made a curse. He becomes a curse. You say, why is he, does he become a curse? Because cursed is the one who's nailed on a tree, those words came right out of God's mouth through Moses. And so, so he's nailed on a tree. But that's not the end of the story, folks. That's not the end of the great king. Three days later, God raises the great king from the dead and makes him Lord over everything. 
Apostle, the Apostle Paul puts it so eloquently in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 11. It says, therefore, because of what he did. And if you, if you read what comes before this, it talks about Jesus doesn't, doesn't feel the need to hold on to his godness. In other words, he holds his godness in open hands. And he's willing to become whatever the Father wants him to become. So he becomes a human being. And, and he, not, he doesn't just become a human being. He dies. And that's another place that the cult groups, and, and, and they, 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 that's where they separate. Jesus just looked like he died because they, they can't understand that, that, that God would allow that. But Jesus dies. Jesus dies. Therefore, God also, God also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name not a name, the name, the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now listen to me. The prophetic word of God, which was so detailed in predicting the, the arrival of the king the first time, is also very clear in, in, in declaring his imminent second return. Jesus is coming back. Okay? I happen to be one who believes in the imminent return of Christ, which means he could come back at any moment. Nothing has to take place on the prophetic calendar to be fulfilled. Now, I know there are some that believe, well, this has got to happen and that's got to happen. That's not what I find, and that's not what the early believers in the first century, that's not what they believed. They believed in an imminent return, that Jesus could return at any moment. The great king who came the first time as a baby is not coming back as a baby the second time. He is coming back as a conquering king. You see, the Jews missed it. They missed the first coming. They were looking for the second coming. But what they're going to see when he comes the second time is not what they want. Because he is coming back as a conquering king. And he's going to be leading the host of heaven. And, and, and when he comes, he's coming to judge the living and the dead. He's coming to reward those who belong to him. And he's coming to hand out holy justice. And that's not all. He's also going to hand out eternal damnation to those who have ignored him and rebelled against him and fought in opposition against him. He is coming to deal with the issues. The first time he came to show us what grace is like. The next time he comes, he will show us what justice is. And justice is holy. It's righteous. It's just the other side of grace. Okay? They're not two different things. They're the same thing. I experience grace if I throw myself at the mercy of the king. But if I think I'm good enough and I can take care of my own stuff, I'll experience justice. It's the same thing. It's not that God doesn't love. He does. Grace is love of God. Justice is the love of God. There's no difference there. The grace and peace of His first coming will be replaced by the righteous judgment in His second. And listen to me. Nobody will have trouble seeing Him. Okay? If you read the prophetic verses... 
Nobody's going to wonder, is that Jesus or not? Is this the Messiah or not? It's, his coming's not going to be in a little remote, tiny town in the Judean wilderness, okay? It's going to be evident for everybody. It's not going to be a secret coming. By the way, the, the, the angels that spoke to the, to, the, uh, to the disciples as Jesus was ascend, after Jesus ascended out of sight, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand staring, gawking, that's what it means. Why do you gawk at what you've just seen? This same one you saw go is going to return in like manner. Jesus ascended bodily. He will return bodily. It's not going to be a spiritual second coming. It's going to be a bodily second coming. It's not going to be secret. It's not going to be hidden in smoke and mirrors. It's not going to be filled with uncertainty and doubt. No, everybody and everything will see him. The sky's going to open up, and, and when it opens up, he's going to come. I want, you to, I want you to listen to this description, okay? And you have to understand, when John writes this, he's trying to find words in his, in his vocabulary that will describe what he's seeing. And it's beyond his ability to describe. He says this in Revelations 19, 11 through 16. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges. Not in anger. In righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are as are a flame of fire and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. You remember when we studied a few weeks ago the Logos? This is the only other time that Logos is used, except for John uses it in his gospel. He is the Logos, the Word of God. He He is the active force of God's voice in action. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the king who's coming. But for the most part, those that see that, won't get to experience him. They'll, most of them will go to hell. See, we're going to come with him. With him. So, Nelson, why do you say all this? Well, I want you to understand that Jesus is a king, he's more than a prophet. He's more than a preacher. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a miracle worker. He's a, he is the king. He's not just the king of this or the king of that. He's the great king of glory. He's, he's God the king. And today, those who willingly bow before him and worship him as the king, uh, they will experience his grace and his mercy. Yet everybody who refuses to do this will still bow one day. And every one of them will declare that he is who he says he is. 
They'll all confess that he's, he's king. They'll all uh, confess that he's Lord of lords. But by then, listen to me, it will be too late. There won't be another chance. There won't be a third coming or a fourth coming. That will be the end of things as they were, which will begin eternity again. I, I say this because the message of Christmas is that God loves us. Don't miss the message of Christmas. God loved us so much that he sent someone for us. And it wasn't an angel. He came himself. And he, he pushed back the, the bushes and, and the garbage we were hiding under. And he plucked us out. And he expects us to hunt the same garbage dumps and the same high grass and push the bushes back and, and the garbage off and pluck others out. That is our job. That's why we're still here. Otherwise, this would already have taken place. And you call that grace. Grace. There, there, there's somebody that yet God has chosen that has to come into the flock and it's your job and my job to plant the seeds and share the gospel so that that person can hear. And one of these days, the last click on the counter is going to be made, which may be in the next second or two. The book will be closed. The skies will break open and the king will come. I don't know how that affects you. It excites me on one hand, but it also terrifies me on the other. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I'm excited. Even so come Lord Jesus. Oh God, what about, what about the folks in, in so-and-so? What about the folks in Morris? Lord, if they're just five, if there's just four, if there's just three. So I, I'm torn between... Those two things. I want him to come back. But I want everybody that's supposed to go uh, that, I, that I'm responsible for to go. And so I'm torn by it. Which then places me in the place then that I need to walk the kingdom out wherever I'm at. I just need to share what Jesus has done for me. I just need to tell the stories of what he's done in my life. I just need to repeat the testimony uh, 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 and, and maybe somebody will grab hold of it. I'm not responsible, but I am responsible. I'm responsible for sharing the message. People are responsible for responding to the message. I'm not responsible for the questions I can't answer. I'm not responsible to prove God is God. And that God can do what he can say he can do. I'm not responsible to explain God in every instance. Because the, the reality is I don't understand. In some instances, I don't know why things happen like they do. But I live in a box. Along with all of you. God doesn't live in that box. But my responsibility is to, is to do good at every opportunity and share him. I can share the story of the, of the baby in the manger, but I don't need to stop there. I got to share the, the life of, of when that baby becomes a man, and, and, and I've got to share the, the, what happens to the man on the cross. 
But I don't stop there. I've got to share what happened in the resurrection and how because of that we can be resurrected. I'm going to just stop. All right? And here's why I'm going to challenge you. Most everybody here, I would dare say everybody, will come in contact with somebody over the next three days. None of you live in a vacuum. All right? You may live by yourself and and you may have family that's out of town, but, but you will run across somebody. Just share with them what Jesus has done in your life. Just tell them the story. Now listen, if they say, I don't want to hear it, I'm not listening to that, whatever, that's all you can do. You can't tackle them and hold them down, okay? I won't recommend that. But just share it. You will be surprised at how many people will listen because they've never heard it. You say, well, Nelson, we live in the Bible Belt. Well, there's no pants to hold the Bible Belt up anymore. There's nothing there that, that will hold the buckle up anymore. All of that stuff's gone. There's a new generation that has arisen, folks. And if they don't get it off of this right here, they don't get it. Now that's, I'm just, that, it was the same with my generation. And it was the same with the generation before me and the generation before. We are responsible to share with them. We are to give them an answer they may not find here. So, that's the challenge. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.